I mean, I believe that being alive is just off the chart phenomenal. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. Hey guys, we want to learn more about you. So if you could, please take a few minutes and tell us about yourself. Go do our audience survey. Go to our website, don'tkeepyourdata.com and click on audience survey and let us know. Thank you so much for doing that. It helps us so much. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I'm Kathy Heller and I am so, I'm so fulfilled doing this and I'm so excited that I've met so many of you now through your emails, through your Facebook posts. Thank you so much for opening up to me and sharing with me your story, where you want to be, what you want to do. I love it. I love that I get to have this dialogue with you. You make me feel 20 feet tall. So thank you for listening. And I'm so glad that this is helping. I mean, it's definitely something I love doing. So it's win-win. I want to just give a big thank you for leaving reviews on our iTunes. And so I've decided to give you guys something back. So here's what I'm going to do. If you've left us a review on iTunes, go to our Facebook page because I've posted a link and you are now eligible. You can join me for an online workshop. I'm so appreciative. So many of you have just poured your heart out and left us these amazing iTunes reviews. So if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and leave us a review. If you have done it, thank you so much. You're now eligible. Go to our Facebook page and there's going to be a link you're going to see. And that means that we're going to meet up online and you're going to we'll be in this like video chat and I'm going to give you guys some tools and then I'm going to start taking some Q&A and I'll I'll give you some real suggestions on things that you could think about incorporating to help you get to where you want to be. Um, last week's episode I talked about Blue Apron. Really excited cuz I'm now using Blue Apron. I'm excited about it. I wanted to share it with you. And so many of you went ahead and you went to the website and you wrote me emails and you said, Kath, we're supporting you and we're interested. It sounds great. I want to try Blue Apron. And you got to an error page that said that the code that you put in Dream Job wasn't working. And I just want you to know they fixed it. They fixed it. So please go back and check it out. And gosh, I felt terrible that you guys had already gone and done it. And believe me, it meant so much to me. So it wasn't done in vain because I felt it. I felt that love. I felt that support. And it just made me feel like, you know, thank you. You know, you guys are really giving back. So I appreciate it. But if you do want to try it, go ahead and check it out again. It's blueapron.com slash dream job. And now you can go ahead and get your three meals free and free shipping. And I hope that you enjoy it. Speaking of listeners, I want to just go over a couple things that have come in. You guys have been asking incredible questions and they're helpful. They're relevant for so many people listening. So I want to dig into a few of them today. So Daniel M, that's what he calls himself. He writes in to me and I loved your email, Daniel. He, he says, you know, Kathy, I'm a musician and I, I have friends of mine who are in bands and some of them are starting to do really well and I'm happy for them, but I can't I can't help but feel a little bit frustrated when I see people doing well and I compare myself to them. And this is such a good question. He says, how do you handle that and not compare yourself to other people? And Daniel, that is such an important point because so many of us, one of the reasons why we're mired with self-doubt is because we compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to the best moments in other people's work because that's all we see. And we don't 
We don't compare ourselves to what's behind the scenes. So therefore, we compare our behind the scenes work to their best work. Do you understand what I'm saying? We look at people when you know, we're aware of them, which means they've already gotten to a place where, you know, things are moving and we're comparing where we are to them without having any glimpse into how long it took them, how many times they fell down and got back up. So it's not a good idea to compare yourself. And if you compare yourself to people, you're going to be unhappy because, you know, it's just like when I go to a yoga class, you know, people, I walk into yoga, I'm 5'9", people think, oh, this girl's going to be good at yoga. She's like tall and lanky. I'm not good at it. You know, and I, I, I tell my teacher this every time and she says, this isn't this isn't even a correct thought, she says to me. There's no such thing because you're not competing against other people. You're competing against yourself. So she thinks I'm doing really well and I appreciate it. But she's saying, look, every time you go there, you know, the effort that I make, it's about me versus myself and where I'm at. And it's not about me versus the other person who's been doing this, you know, and all the inversions for years. It's about me and where I'm at and if I can make a little bit of progress. So it makes sense, and I know that feeling of looking at somebody who's where you want to be, and it hurts. I mean, if we're all honest, of course it should hurt because it's the thing that on some level you're hoping that you could be doing. But the truth is that that person had to put in a lot to get to where they are, and they also started out in you know where you're at. And so I don't want you to compare yourself to them. I want you to just use it as fuel to keep going, and you're going to get there. Guys, listen, I want to tell you something, okay? So gather around. <laughs> It's really important that you understand that your ability is far beyond right now what you think it is, that your capacity for greatness, you haven't even glimpsed the beginning of it. You know, every single person, every one of us has, has the ability to do tremendous things in this world. And when you look in the world and you, you can point to examples, whether it's, you know, somebody in a certain field like a Steven Spielberg or whether it's a person, you know, who resisted and, and created a movement in politics like a Gandhi. Listen to me. Okay. Everybody's given, everybody's given this incredible uh, tool house. You know, you, you being alive, you walking this earth. Okay. Everyone has the potential. That potential is there. The difference is the people who are going to hone that potential and they're going to sculpt themselves. And so there's going to be people when you're growing up, or even, in, even in your life right now, there's going to be people who are so threatened watching you even talk about what it is that you want to do. And it's going to be a voice that you might have heard. Maybe it was an art teacher who was too critical. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it's someone in your life right now in your own house. Maybe it's your spouse. Who knows? But clearly... We've all had voices and people telling us, you're not going to be able to do it. It doesn't happen for you. It happens for other people, not for you. Here's why it's not going to happen. This is what you don't have. This is what that person has and you don't. I want to be the voice to remind you to tell the rest of that it's not true and use it to fuel you. You know, when you go to the gym, you're going to make the most muscle on resistance machines. So let it fuel you and you're going to show them they don't know what they're talking about because they haven't met you and they don't know that you're actually going to use all that to fuel yourself to work even harder. And this is not just me trying to be nice and blow smoke and just puff you up. This is the truth, okay? The people who are going to have the courage to walk forward and keep going, and isn't it worth it? Let's say it takes you two years, two years full-time focused, dedicated, doing the work you love so that you can eventually do the work you love and get paid to do it full time. Is that not worth it? You're going to have to overcome that self-doubt. 
And I want to be that voice. Not only are we going to have guests like we have today who are going to show you their path, but the thing that all these guests have in common is that no matter the self-doubt, no matter, and believe me, we all have it, they're willing to say, I'm going for it anyway. And sooner or later, those voices get quieter. All right. So I just want to remind you, if you can, please go ahead and do our audience survey. It just takes a few minutes, and it's really going to help us if you just fill this stuff out. We're always looking for ways to improve. We want to make the best content, the best podcast, the best show possible. So if you could, if you can go do our audience survey, the link is up on our website, don'tkeepyourdayjob.com, or you can go to facebook.com slash don'tkeepyourdayjob. Just click on audience survey. It takes five minutes, but it really, really helps us understand what you want, what you need, and then we can just keep improving our content, keep improving our podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. So without further ado, this man uh, makes me laugh. And I'm not laughing at him, but with, with. Um, He's just very funny and he's very just endearing. I find him very lovable. You've probably seen him in a million movies or you've seen his stand-up or you've heard him not knowing it's him because he's a writer as well. But he's a comedian, actor, writer, performer. He also plays ukulele. And I, I know that you like do ventriloquism too. Is that right? Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> there he comes. So this is um, one of my favorite people, Wayne Fetterman. And he's been in a million movies. Like, That's an exaggeration. It's in a, <laughs> I'm already lying to you. This is what's <laughs> happened. I can build no trust. Sorry, I like to be specific. All right. That's fine. So he's been in The 40-Year-Old Virgins, yes, Step Brothers. True. He's on one of my favorite shows, which is Coming Back, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. And he also uh, was the head monologue writer for Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. If that's not a big deal, what is? Okay. So how are you? Swell, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the opening inspirational monologue. That All was right. fun. Good, good. All right. Um, I didn't want to make it too heavy because that's not the best warm up for a comic. No, you know, it making can people be. cry. Could you it? Never There's many sides to me, <laughs> not just frivolity. <laughs> so I'm sure we're going to get off on many topics. But what I would like to I'm a big, I'm big on tangents. <laughs> that's my. That's kind of my thing. Okay, good. Yeah. So look, given the 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 context of this show, don't keep your day job. You know, people listening right now. They're inspired. They're inspired hearing people like you who have made it. You get to do what you love to do. You don't have to work a day job. So tell us about how you started to chase your dreams. I felt like early on I knew what I wanted to do. Like as soon as I found out that stand-up comedy was a career, like I'm in. You're talking like eight years old? No, a little later than that. Because I I had older brothers and sisters. I was always, I guess, looking for attention. A lot of people. I can't see it. Yeah. So... When I realized, started discovering comedians and what they did, I was like, I want to do that. And I started out doing ventriloquism in high school. And that was sort of the start of it. Did that get you a lot of dates? No, it was humiliating, obviously. (laughs) What are you talking about? So I had a very specific path, which was I wanted to go to become a comedian who was a good actor. So I had a couple little options. And so I went to NYU Drama School to become a good actor. And at the same time, at night, would tr- start doing open mics in New York City. Wow. I didn't know you went to Tisch. Yeah, That's I know. cool. You're like actually like the real McCoy. I studied with Stella Adler. Do you know who that is? Yes, of course. Yeah. And then you were doing stand-up as well. And then I wanted to do stand-up at night. And then I had a number of jobs once I got out of college because I couldn't make any money. I mean, you could make $5 a night or something doing stand-up at that time. So I was I worked at Otis Elevator Company. I worked for a law firm. I drove a cab. I also took kids. This was a great mom. I would take 
kids from local New York high schools on ski trips. I would be what's called a tour leader. That's interesting that they would trust you with their children. I know. I feel like that's a slight insult. Slight? Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty direct. So, okay, keep going. Well, then I start booking a little clubs around New York. So I start making a little money. And then I got hooked up with doing comedy on college campuses. This is in the maybe 84, 85. So this is during the comedy boom. All these colleges wanted comedians. If they didn't have like $20,000 to get, you know, Jay Leno or Rich Jenny or one of those guys, I would work for $1,000. Who else was coming up with you at that point? Who were you doing those? Well, I did some shows with Adam Sandler. Chris Rock, obviously, was working at the the club when I started out. So it was really fun. Very exciting. There was Colin Quinn was the bartender at the comic strip. What was hilarious, wanted to go on stage, and the manager wouldn't let him, that no one that worked at the club could go on at the club. Wow. So we had to quit to do start doing sets. So it was a lot of very exciting. Okay. And then luckily for me, you know, I really worked hard on developing an act. And I, what you were saying earlier really rung a bell with me, which was like, you have to do things. And I'm guilty of this as anyone. Anyone can dream anything. It's that putting the dream into reality is the hard part for me. I feel like that's the hard bridge. What do you think? No, I completely agree. I feel like people want to talk a lot about it and complain about it, (laughs) you know, but they're not actually taking tremendous amount of action. When I go, I've said this before, when I go to see someone at the Hollywood Bowl, I First thing I'm obviously thinking is, God, they're the so parking, talented. The parking. Parking is yes, horrendous. Trick, it's enough to trick. give you a heart attack. But the second thing I think, if I'm watching someone incredible, is this person works hard. So go back to when you just said you were really working on your act. So what does that mean? What does that well, look like? Well, let me give like? you an example. Let okay. me give you an example. All I right. worked on my act in a very diligent way. Not as diligently as Jerry Seinfeld. And I met this guy named Steve Schaefer, who was a friend of Jerry's who went over to Jerry's house and noticed on his calendar was every day there was an X through it. And he was like, what does that mean? He goes, that's every day I write at least three hours. Three hours? Three hours a day. Every day. That's a lot. I don't even have Especially if you're actually doing it, not just saying it. But if he's really doing that every day, that's a tremendous amount of work. And Jerry's thing was like, if I can just write from 10 to 1, I have the rest of the day to do whatever I want. I can go to lunch, go to the movies, whatever. But if I do that... And uh, I think it shows in his work. I really, really think it showed in his work. He was one of my inspirations when I was starting out. And to tell you the truth, I can't write like that. So when you say working on your craft, what were you doing? Sitting in cafes and writing or well, walking around? Well, to this day, doing? I mean, right here, I always have a notebook with me with ideas and a pen to write down ideas. And then I bring them on stage and work them out. So is that what you were doing? You would go on stage and yeah. that's what you mean by working on your craft? And then work it out and get you get five minutes and then you get seven minutes. And then by the time I was doing colleges, I had to do an hour. Oh, my God. I had to do an And at the beginning, it was hard because I didn't have an hour's worth of material. What I always find insane about comedy is that you need a reaction. Like, I feel like I get up on stage to perform. I, you know, I'm a songwriter. And... I don't need to hear them laugh or cry, and so I can keep moving along. You know if you're dying, like, every second. It's so oh, yeah. hard. It is the absolute joy of it and yeah. no, it's the hell of it. That's why so many it. people are afraid of it. Terrifying. Like, so many people I talk to are just like, I can't believe you get up on stage, and there's the expectation that you have to make these people laugh. So how did you psych yourself up to do that it wasn't, all the it's time? Not, it's not like that. This is the way I would say. I feel like it's a calling. It's something you just 
want to do and you're very comfortable pursuing it. Let me give you an example. Priests. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Okay, Because priests, priest, when you see a priest, you're just like, you got to be kidding me. Right. You chose that you can't be with Never a girl or that. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk to them and they're just like, yeah, it was a calling. This feels totally natural. This is exactly what I want to be doing. This is why I was here. You don't have to pick out clothes. Every, you know exactly what you're going to wear. Exactly. That's, That's the main reason people become join the priesthood. Let's be serious. Yeah, of course. for the outfits. So when I, <laughs> so that made sense to me. It was like, oh, that's what I have. Like this is a calling. So that therefore you could tolerate how uncomfortable you were, or you or just I could weren't uncomfortable. It. You no, weren't no, uncomfortable. no. I was. I suffered stage fright. I had a lot of things I had to fight through. But I'm saying. I could process the disappointments of bombing, right. which are so evident to everyone. It's humiliating. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, it is really bad. And I feel like if I can give advice. I would I like hate to hear giving, it. Um, this, is, this is just one person's way of dealing with it, was that I feel like one of the best skills I learned in my career was how to deal with disappointment. Because I've had tons of it, tons of it. To this day, I, obviously, to this day, I feel like I'm disappointed in some areas. So how do you handle that? How would you and be interpreting that and rationalizing so that this so you is, keep this going? This is going to be a very sad thing I'm going to tell you. All right. Okay? Good lead in. But somebody once told me this. He goes, the good news is nothing is as bad as it seems. Like as bad as that set was or that like you didn't get that thing. No. But the bad news is nothing is as good as it seems. <laughs> So everything is kind of, I'm sorry. No, okay. I'm sorry. And I don't know if I agree with that because I, I mean, I believe that being alive is just off the chart phenomenal. You make me cry every time. Every time we're together, you usually, it literally makes me cry. I know when I'm doing my stand up. I get it. I know. I I just started off the chart because you really feel that way. A hundred percent. Okay. So I made some point. I made this a point. This is another Fetterman key to success. And again, is that like a thing now? The no, Fetterman no, no. These are, I hate giving advice because I do feel like there's a million ways to skin a cat. I know that's I've a, never done it one That's time. a horrible. I'll never uh, do it. It's Not a horrible metaphor. But Go there's ahead. a million ways to manifest your dreams. But uh, I have been into self-help books since I was a kid. Like even in high school. I was into these self. Do you read any of those? Oh, yeah. I've definitely read that stuff. Yeah, I used to yeah. listen to the Tony Robbins yeah, tapes. Same cassette here. tapes. Yeah. Which one? The uh, uh, Unleash the Giant? Unleash the Giant Within. Is that one of them? Yeah. And he would talk about ask the right question. What's the question? Why does he sound like he's always hoarse? Because he's screaming all the time. But <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. yeah he's so I find. A, who I are find, you listening to? His, his. Not anymore. I don't listen to him anymore. But early on, there was a guy. There's a book called Your Erroneous Zone by Dr. Wayne Dyer, who just passed away. And what he taught me, which I've used my whole life. What did he teach you? That you are responsible for your emotions. I know that sounds like a crazy thing, (laughs) because other people are just like, I can't help it. I'm Italian. I have a short fuse. (laughs) It's like, no, you're choosing to accept this information as something to make you upset. So it's all how you process the information and very much be in the moment. And How old were you when you listening to this? No, not listening, reading. You were reading was, it. This was before books on tape. Okay. This so was you... books on paper. <laughs> so this is when you were like early 20s? No, 15, 16. Very Pretty darn mature 15 I know. Old. So I, I agree with that. There's a quote I love, happiness is an inside job. I remember I read a quote from George Burns very early on. He was a comedian, lived to be 100 years old. And he said... <laughs> Then this is back to finding your passion because I feel like I found my passion pretty early on. Right. And And that's, by the way, a blessing. A lot of people don't even know exactly what they want to do. Yeah. And 
He said, I'd rather be a failure in show business than a success at making felt hats. And I thought that was, and that stuck with me. So we talked about the club. We talked about Colin Quinn as a bartender, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock. Right. It's an exciting time. You guys are coming up together. Right. How did you go from doing stand-up and booking those college shows and doing those clubs to Curb Your Enthusiasm, all the movies you've done? Well, what happened? as I said earlier, two-track life. Like, I wanted to be a great stand-up and also an uh, excellent actor. Yeah. So one of the big obstacles was my Screen Actors Guild card because I tried to get an agent in New York by targeting these agents and putting her on a charm and I couldn't get through. They didn't want to see me unless I had a SAG card. Mm. So once that happened, I was like, I'm going to go to California. Yep. New choice. And so I heard that it was easier to get a commercial agent than a theatrical agent because they wanted to see what you look like on tape and I didn't have any tape except right. what I had done stand-up-wise. So, so I targeted... What I heard were like the best commercial agents that use comedians as well. And I did this, I don't know, it was like postcard campaign. I don't even, I didn't have a you name for it. You sent them postcards? I would send them physical postcards from the road when I was. Physical with, postcards as opposed to. <laughs> yeah. a, a Theoretical virtual, postcards. A virtual postcards. Right. And I would write these funny little postcards just, hey, I'm in Butte, Montana. I'm in Billings, Montana. I'm in Bozeman, Montana. You know what I mean? Are I was always just, in Montana? I did. I only work Montana. <laughs> no. They love me in Montana. No, but it would be some weird. And every place had these postcards and there was always something funny. And this was like my gag would always be I would write about the postcard. The joke would be about something that was way in the background. That's hilarious. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it was something like that, like this guy. And so <laughs> so you would send people postcards. How often would you send them? Maybe two or three times a month. Like I didn't want to overdo it. Okay. I had maybe four agents. That's so charming too because you'd write a handwritten note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would just keep doing that? Right, How right. long would you do that? Till like one guy brought me in. One how, guy long, how long the, did that take? It, not long, like a year and a half. Not long, like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. See that that's amazing. You what? said not long, like a year and a half of like, hey, what was his name? <laughs> Doug. Hey, He's, Doug. <laughs> here I am again. Right. Nice Doug not hearing from you. From nice never getting the time of day from you. Here <laughs> I, I am in I, Delaware. Exactly. We've never met. Still thinking right. about you. I'm at Tulane Seattle, University. Tulane. <laughs> You just keep writing to him. So finally he brings That's me in. That's unbelievable. Most in, people do not do that. We talked about taking action. Uh-huh. That's incredible action because you're writing over and over to a total stranger multiple times. Right. Like a little bit, you could say stalker, maybe. Yeah. But it's I polite tr- persistence. I tried. It's polite persistence. This is a tool, people. What is it this called? Is polite tool. persistence. What's it called? <laughs> polite persistence. Polite persistence. Yeah, I definitely you gotta had that. You got to have that perseverance. I definitely and had that. And you were charming, though. I tried to be charming, and I tried to make every postcard funny. That's all. I just wanted – he read his card. It was going to be something funny. You know, there's a good book. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz has this book, The Four Agreements. The Four <laughs> Agreements one of my greatest. No, it's so good. greatest. But the first one is – it's again. such a good one because he talks about don't take anything personally. So That's I would write four. to people – sometimes I'd have to write to someone Do like 17 times. you want to go through the four times. right now? Want to go yeah, what are they? I know the first ones don't take things personally. Don't take it personally. Be, be impeccable with your word. Always do your best. Yeah. That is hard. And then uh, don't assume, which is like don't take things personally, but it's slightly different. I think the problem is when you're trying to get somebody to help you, like be your agent yeah. or represent you, there's like a – the more you can give them as opposed to making them – 
or asking them to give you. So how do you do that? What do you mean? Another one, I just wanted to be funny. Like, I know that there's funny people in commercials. So I thought, like, oh, if he knows I'm funny as opposed to just another 20-something actor. I love actor, that. So you're saying, like, deliver content already. You have to. Don't wait for the audition. Right, right, right. Bring the content now. Yeah, you Show have to. Up. That's my feeling. Like, the more you can help them, yeah. it's much better. My friend. And it's hard at the beginning. I Believe me, I, I'll never forget those the feelings of, especially in New York, when those doors were just like, we are not interested in you, Wayne Fetterman. Not in any way. So what happened with this guy, Doug? Did so you eventually he brought in? me in. He met me. And then uh, I would go back out on the road and send him stuff. And then he started sending me out for commercials. And I booked one. Like it took maybe a year to book a commercial. But I did get a call back right away. So he knew that it, like, yeah. like that was lucky, I feel. You still talk to this guy? Talk to him. He's my agent. He's just, still your agent. Still my commercial agent. He's one of the best in this the business. This has been like 20 years. 30 years. 30 years. Yeah, no question. Okay, so you got that. And then when did you finally get the film agent? Well, then then I did the same kind of thing to try to get a theatrical agent because it was, again, much more difficult. Like, I, let's do a scale. Like, to get a commercial agent was like a three on a scale of 10. But to get a theatrical agent is like a six or and then even to get a great theatrical agent is even higher. Okay. So, again, I targeted a couple agencies and then eventually – now I had some tape on me. So I put together a reel, what they call, and I, I dropped that off at a few agencies. And I think I had somebody – this was what happened, and I can't remember who it was. Somebody recommended me to an agent, and that's how they got to meet me. And that's how I got my first agent – and they sent me out, and then I booked. <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. Uh, Parent Trap Three Hawaiian Honeymoon. <laughs> Do you know the Parent Trap series? The Hawaiian Honeymoon part just makes it. Funny. Yeah, yeah. Parent Trap Three, the Hawaiian Honeymoon, and that was my first thing I ever booked, like theatrically. And the casting director is Allison Jones. Wow. And now she ended up doing all of Judd's movies and a lot of other comedies That's and crazy. things like that. I know. And that was 1989. Right. So that was three years after I moved to L.A. It took me to get an agent, get a thing. And what about the, we didn't, I didn't ask you, the commercials. What was your first commercial that you did? My first commercial was for a Mexican food company called Noggles. Senior Noggles. Never the heard carrier. of it. Yeah, they're out of it. They're, they became Del Taco. Oh, well, that we know. Yeah. But I became most famous for uh, two things, for doing this commercial for Hertz, where I took over for O.J. Simpson. You took- <laughs> Because you're clearly the next Yeah, judge. yeah, no question. I'm like the they juice. They lost OJ. Uh, Who will like do juice. it? Who will fill those shoes? <laughs> I talked to those agency guys, and they were like, you know, there was some rumors that OJ was having these domestic problems. No one knew? They, no, everyone knew, but yeah. it was like he wasn't convicted of anything. Oh, okay. So they let him go, and they brought in Wayne Fetterman to do what was called Not Exactly. They're like, did you book from Hertz? Well, not exactly. Did you get this? Not exactly. That's perfect. It's like, you. yeah. So well, I ended up doing a lot of commercials like this. I talked about it on the Tonight Show, where I was like, I was the other guy. I was the guy that rented for Mavis. I did a Holiday Inn commercial, um, like at Motel Six. It was like, <laughs> it was always like, look at this guy. If you don't want to look like him, use oh, our product. All right, all right. <laughs> that was Got me it. for a long time. You were the schmuck on the yeah, other yeah, side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You're like happy about it though. I was thrilled. Thrilled. <laughs> 
thrilled to do that. Awesome. Um, listen, here's my next question. And then I have a few questions from audience it. members for love you. love it. Let's talk about what were some of the highlights so far? Yeah. What were some of those highlights for you? I know for me, I my favorite is your second episode on Curb. Oh, on Curb, yeah. One of the funniest things I've ever seen, and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but for you, not for me, <laughs> enjoying your career, what were some of the highlights for you so far? Well, um, I would say, obviously, performing with Buford at the Senior Prom at the Breakers Hotel in West Palm Beach, Florida. Oh my God, I know that hotel. I've been there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a big night for, <laughs> not for Stacy, but for Buford and myself. <laughs> I have to say, being accepted into NYU... Auditioning and accepted to NYU is big. Uh, doing the Tonight Show for the first time. I mean, oh one of my God. biggest things was to do the Tonight Show. Say, I can't believe you can even say you've done that. I know. I, mean, it's so... I know. But one of my biggest goals was to do the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was like, or starring Johnny Carson was. And I came so close. I can't tell you. It's, it was one of the biggest career disappointments of my life was not doing the show with him. And I came, like the booker got drunk uh, and the whole thing. Okay, so then you went on with Jay Leno? Then I went on with Jay and I, I, just, I had a fun time. And like, so that was great. And then um, doing the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon just last year. That was, was a, one of the funniest sets was, I've ever thank you, seen. Thank you, thank you. I'm but so I'll, tempted to quote it right now, but could you tell your Woody Allen joke? Because it's so funny. <laughs> it's slightly offensive, but it's that uh, I go once. Uh, I'm here in New York. I would be remiss not to talk about my idol, Woody Allen, and say what you will. It's now been 14 years, and he's still married to the same daughter. So it's that takes a lot of... That's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. I, quote, I, I, I quoted it so many times. <laughs> no, anyway, it's you're right. adorable. It's all right. So um, when, being just, on The Tonight Show. But I'd say curb your enthusiasm. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was huge. That was huge. And I had known Larry from stand-up when I started. When I started, he had just finished Fridays, which oh, was right. a, a show on ABC. Didn't do that well. Didn't do that well. And he was coming back to do stand-up, and he he would go on, and I was emceeing, just starting out. And I remember he would always say to me, he, like as you brought him up, he goes, here he is from Fridays, Larry David. And then he would shake your hand and go, stay close. Like, because at any moment, if it it's wasn't going be, well, he was like, I'm done. not going to, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to power through a set. I think that's my favorite thing I've done. On camera. So you just show up, he tells you the scene, and you guys just make up all the lines. Right. And as a matter of fact, on the last one I did where this is the situation oh where my he, God, so he like hugs me and my glass, I have glasses around and he breaks. And he goes, and you want me to pay for them. Like, that's all he told me. So I came up to him before <laughs> we started shooting because I was trying to think of, like, how could I justify that? Like, what would be in his head that would make him say, oh, you're responsible? So I came up with an angle. And I said, I think I have an angle. He goes, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't, I don't want to know. We'll do it on camera. So he didn't want to know anything at all until we they were, as I say, rolling. And then also being on plane, getting to play uh, Gary Shanley's brother on the Larry Sanders show. Oh, my incredible. God. And you incredible. loved him. Just loved the dude, and I really respected him. The last question I have for you is how the heck did you write a monologue every night? Jimmy Fallon has something Oh, no, no, no. There was a team of writers. Okay, but even how do you do that? It Every starts day. the night before. Yeah. <laughs> you really want to know? But come up with what's called premises based on the stories that are breaking that night. And we write jokes over the night and in the morning and then present them to Jimmy around 11 o'clock. He reads them over, he circles the ones he likes. And then uh, 
He's like, I, li- I want more on this. And then you would write jokes on topical stuff and then on weird things in the news or, you know, do those kind of jokes. And we would go back, rewrite those jokes, repitch other jokes. And then in the afternoon, he would do a run through in front of a fake, in a fake crowd, a small crowd. And then from there, we would hone those down oh to the eight to 12 jokes he would do every in the moment. Day. Every that's day. Every ama- day. That's an amazing I know. It was, very, it was thrilling. It was thrilling. Everyone asks me advice. And again, there's a million ways to do this. Uh, but I've always believed that the more specific your goal, the easier it is to re- achieve. I'm going to repeat it. Explain that. The yeah. more specific your goal, the more easy it is to achieve. Let's say you want to be, oh, I want to be a comedy writer. Okay, well, there's hundreds of shows. There's live shows. There's right. radio shows. Sitcoms, obviously. There's movies. Like, that's not going to help you. If you say, hey, I want to write on a Chuck Lorre show. Then you're like, there might be 50 people who can help focus. You're going to write your spec script in that style. Mm-hmm. You're going to do this in that style. So Got I it. feel like the more specific as opposed to, oh, I want to be a star. I want to be famous. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's a couple of questions. So Jonathan writes, these are real. This is I love true. it. Okay. Jonathan. Hello. Hi, Jonathan. He says, what was the most important connection you made and how did that come about? Wow, that's a good one, Jonathan. I know, very L.A. I will tell you. I will tell you one of the most important, Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't know it at the time, okay? This wasn't like, oh, I'm going to meet this agent over here, William Morris, and connect up like this. The first person (laughs) I met in California, and he was a freshman at USC, was Judd Apatow. Shut up. Yeah. He was a freshman, and we met outside the laugh outside the laugh factory. Yeah, Not, that's a pretty important connection. I mean, he turned out to be very yeah, important. I would he, helped, say. he introduced me to Gary Shandling. Yeah. So wait, so you met him where? How? I was testing the waters of whether to come out to California. Like my goal was again to be an actor who could do stand up, and I wasn't going to come to California until I had my Screen Actors Guild card. And so I finally got it. Came out here just to see. And then I met him just, I had no idea who he was. He was a comedy nerd and he knew who I was. So we talked. Look at that. We were friendly and, and this is going to make me cry. And then he booked me at USC three months later where I did a show. By the way, I just found some pictures from that night that he sent me. And then he's been a friend of mine ever since, has put me in a few of his movies and little roles. I think was responsible for helping me get to audition for the Larry Sanders show. Mm-hmm. And then when I released my comedy album, he wrote the liner notes. And his whole thing was about, like, you can tell someone's a good guy right from the beginning and Wayne hasn't changed at all. And, like, what he wrote was that's so over-the-top beautiful. I'm so glad Jonathan asked that question. Yeah. When I read it, I was like, well, that's kind of like, you I know, know, but to, I think like that's Jonathan, but I think my point was because I think I'm a genuine guy and not just trying to use everyone or like, hey, how can you help me do this thing? I think that helped that I was just like, he was a kid in USA. I don't, you know, I didn't know who he was, but I was, I'm nice to people just because I'm nice. Wow. That's a huge, I I love that. Yeah. Um, It's an amazing story. And that, you know, who knew he was going to become like this mogul, you know, mini Lorne Michaels guy. Pretty big deal. (laughs) Here's a good question. I think this is, so Chuck says. Chuck. Please share how you balanced your time when you were working towards leaving your full-time day job, especially for people who they have a family, they need a source of income. How can you remain focused when you have to constantly go to your day job mode and you're trying to create your dream job mode? 
How do you right. do that? Right. You, that's a great. You, that's a great question. You? And I don't want to sound cavalier about this because I didn't have a family at that time, right? And I could live very frugally, so it wasn't quite the pressure that somebody. But did. you still had to pay the rent. So how did you do that? <laughs> I just did the job as well as I could, and then uh, there was a book that said there's something called a job and a job job. A job is something you do. This is your thing, your career. A job job is just to make money. And that's what Otis Elevator was for me. It was just to make money. So you weren't bringing it home with you. You weren't no. it wasn't consuming you. You don't have to put any creative energy into it. That's good. Exactly. So you want to, and for actors, great job jobs are waitering because you can get shifts off. You can audition during right. the day. You can, you know, that's a great job job. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from uh, professional waiters. So it's almost better, you're saying, to do something pretty meaningless. Yes. So that you can focus all your heart and soul and anything creative right, right, on right, something right, else. Right. And you need a job that's that's flexible. So, yeah, yeah. How and long did that take before you were able to um, quit the job jobs? In my 20s, 28 or something, 27. And you graduated college at 21. So it took like seven years. Yeah, seven years of cab driver or law okay. firm, taking kids on ski trips. Right. I mean, there was a number. There was but work. you never looked back since then. You haven't no, had I... to have a job job since you're 28. Correct. That's pretty darn awesome. I agree. I agree. Wow. Can I, I say one other you. thing to those no, listening? absolutely not. So and thank is, you and good. No, go ahead. And that is, uh, like, I didn't, there was no one in show business in my family. Because there's people that, like, oh, my dad was a casting director oh, yeah. or something like that. So yeah. just if you're out there, I just went to South Plantation High School. I didn't go to... There was nothing from Florida. Right. There was nothing. They play highlight there. Yeah. No one even knows what that is. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) But yeah, no one who knows highlight knows anyone in the Screen Actors Guild. We don't go together. Yes, that was my point. My point was. (laughs) So I just want to say if you're out there and you're thinking of it like, oh, I don't know anyone or I don't have these connections. I didn't. No, you go to Montana and you send a postcard. That's what you do then. That was part That's of it. What you do, or you meet Judd Apatow when he's a freshman. Be nice to those freshman <laughs> high schoolers and college be nice kids. To, be nice to everyone, not because they may become no. Judd Apatow, just because it's a great way to go through life. Yeah, I'm pretty satisfied with this, Wayne Fetterman. I enjoyed having you on. I hope that things happen for you. All right. Wow, that was good stuff. If you want to know what I think are the takeaways from this episode, you want to write this down. You just want to remember some of the highlights. Here's what I think. Number one. You have to be active. Anyone can dream, but you got to put it into reality, and it might be hard. But if your passion is your calling, it's going to motivate you to put up with the difficulties and hone your craft and take action. Number two, it's okay to have rejection and disappointment. You have to have a thick skin, so sort of expect that along the way. And if you're willing to go through the no's, you're going to get to the yeses. Number three, polite persistence pays off. Number four, it's better to be a failure doing what you love than be a successful felt hat maker. I thought that was a great quote. The other thing that I absolutely loved is the line about gratitude. When Wayne says, you know, just being here is off the charts, I feel like the more we're grateful for the whole ride, the whole process, we have a lot more creative energy to keep going, to be persistent, to hone our craft, and we will get there. If you like what you're hearing on this show, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review and rate us. Go to our Facebook page. Like it. It's Don't Keep Your Day Job. Leave a comment. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what stories you're interested in. Tell us what issues you're having, what it is that you're trying to do. 
We love hearing from you. It's a pleasure to do this show. And we, we are continuing to be here to encourage you, support you, and inspire you towards what you want. There's no good reason why you can't have it. We want to see people quitting their day jobs and doing what they love. Of course, all in the right time. We want to see you happy, successful, turning your passion into something that makes you a living. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.